Jamie and Travis, Jamie and Travis, Jamie and Travis present. Can you, we didn't even do all the checks. Can you hear us? I can. We wear these headphones for a reason. Yeah. Puts you in a zone. It puts you in the zone. You sound great, Thank both you. of you. It makes you feel pro. <laughs> I, I feel pro right now. This is pretty good. Uh, this is Kate Morris's voice you're hearing. Kate Morris, uh, who is kind of a local luminary, I think. <laughs> Thank you very you're much. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, you are a playwright. <laughs> yes. And maybe an artist of other sorts. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, poets seem to really love my stuff. Yes. Yeah, I get more publications through poetry than I do through playwriting. I mean, do you publish plays? You do, but it's a long process. Like, you have to produce it in various forms. Yeah. And then, like, the publishing houses are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. This needs to be a thing that people can buy. And you also work at the Zach. I do. What do you do at the Zach? Um, I'm their development director, so I ask people for money. And I think Which you're doing a lot of these days. Yeah, we're doing a lot of that. Tell, tell us real quick. Tell us, give us the spiel on, on what you guys are going for. Well, okay. So I'm one of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even like the major fundraiser for the Zach right now. That's Kia. Sure. Um, and she and Melanie Brock and our board of directors are raising $4.25 million Damn. for a new Zach downtown. Wow. Yeah, we are over halfway there. Awesome. Great. Um, which has only happened in a, a year. In, and is there a deadline? Like, is there a deadline? Or well, whatever? we would like to be able to move in as soon as possible. Um, so we bought the Studebaker downtown, and it's um, that building right next to Masala. Uh-huh. And ATG's in there. Yes. And they are waiting for a home in Silver Park. Yep. And so they're leasing the space from us since we've already bought that oh, building. Oh, sweet. And so they should be, their lease is extended until the end of January. And then we're going to renovate in March. This is happening, happening soon. Yeah. And we're raising money by the thousands as as often as people want to give us money to have an art center in downtown. We're also, <laughs> for our listeners, they probably will accept 10s and 20s. Yeah, I am accepting <laughs> all things. And this is a good time of year for that. Yes, it is. Like if, if people want to give, if people want to like do charitable donations on their taxes, then they need to do giving now. in 2018. Yeah. What yeah. is, what is there, obviously you can bring an envelope full of money to the Zach on yes. the north side. Mm-hmm. Is there an online thing? There is. Uh, newzac.org. Newzac.org? Mm-hmm. Okay. Newzac, two C's, C-A-C-C. Yeah. Z-A-C-C. Go do it. Yeah. And like even if it's five bucks, right? Yeah. Oh, no? You don't accept no, five bucks? No, I accept oh. all money. Okay. <laughs> all money goes to the Zach. Um, how long have you been at the Zach? About a year. Awesome. Well, no, a year and a half now because I moved back from Chicago in June of last year. Okay, so let's let's that's a good place to jump off. Oh, yeah. You, you <laughs> are from Montana. I am, born you, and raised. Big Fork? Uh-huh. No, Yes. Yeah, I grew up in Big Fork. I know so Super many weird. cool people from Big Fork. Uh-huh. I know them too. Who don't live in Big Fork anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> in fact, I'm I'm still catching up on like all y'all's podcasting. 
And so the episode that I'm listening to right now is Jesse's episode. Oh, yes. Jesse Haddon. He's one of those guys. He is. He and my, he and my brother are in the same class. Oh, really? School. Yeah. So I've known his family for a really long time. Our mothers are really good friends. No shit. Yeah. Jesse has very few nice things to say about the flathead. Well. Sorry, Jesse. He is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. What was your experience? <laughs> oh, God. It was bizarre. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't fit anywhere okay just like regular small town stuff or you think there's there's something unique about i think it's got this weird mashup between it's like you took beverly beverly hills 90210 set it in colorado and dropped it in the middle of montana amidst like i don't know weird montana stuff like like the, the social strata was very different yeah mm-hmm. I, we've talked about this on the podcast how the flathead and it seems to be worse now i don't know what it was like when you're growing up but there are parts of the flathead that just have this like alt-right vibe yeah and, and yeah. you just and you don't even have to get out of the car to feel it sometimes you know it's the ten commandment billboards uh-huh. and the the revivalist tent in the field it just has this vibe of the trump shit everywhere Mm -hmm. uh it is it's in the air yeah christ died for you will you live for him and that and obviously the trump stuff wasn't happening when you were little but that religious stuff was there. that phrase was on a giant white cross that you would see illuminated driving into town on one of the major highways what was the phrase again christ died for you will you live for him damn (laughs) it's heavy (laughs) I mean, as a as a writer, you must appreciate. I mean, I feel like that's <laughs> how, how I learned how to dupe semantics. I was like, yeah. let's pick this thing apart here. <coughs> Look how much they got done in so little words, right? I mean, what a what a story! <laughs> it's really telling quite the story. Okay, so when did you when did you did you go to high school in Big Four? Mm-hmm. I did. I was. Um, let's see. Because I was the only outspoken feminist, I was a dyke for a pretty good amount of time. And I mean, so yeah, I am a queer person, but I haven't—I didn't come out until I was 30. So um, I was like, wait, I like dudes. But because I like rights for women, I am supposedly a lesbian. Um, yeah. And then when I lost my virginity to a, a dude at 16, I was then a slut. So uh. you could either be... A cold dyke bitch, or a slut, or a slut, or a Mormon. Those are your options. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the three options oh, that no. you could choose. That sounds pretty terrible. As a girl, oh, fun. Yeah. So you got the hell out of there. I did, um, but I didn't have a college fund, so I went to MSU and studied film, and then I came here and studied theater. You went to MSU first. Yeah, I did. I. It was a bad choice. Yeah. I fell in love with a film student, and I followed him to college. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. It was a <laughs> to, mistake. To pose The and only thing that was good about it was studying film for two years. And then you mo- and then you transferred to the University of Montana. Yeah, because I lived in a house with a bunch of meth addicts, and we got evicted. Oh. That's oh, how most people man. end up in Well, it's not a bunch. I guess it was one person who had a hidden meth addict Addiction? thing. Yeah. Oh, she wow. She was a hidden addict. And <laughs> no, she, not a, not you can never addict. hide it for very long. She didn't have it up in the attic. She <laughs> no, was addict. was addict. Got it. <laughs> oh, I need to remember my all of my plosives. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was... <laughs> I like the idea of you guys not knowing. that. Oh. Yeah, What's he doing up there? 
What's he doing up there? Yeah. Nobody had any idea, and she kept stealing all the money from friends and other roommates, and finally, there was just nobody was paying rent but me for like three months. Meth is, meth is <laughs> an aside, meth is interesting, because I think if you, like to the layperson, because really all I know about meth is the billboards. So I think, man, you, you smoke meth once and your fucking skin is falling off and you killed your friend <laughs> and you're in jail. Yeah. But obviously there's a progression and it's it's weird to think that you could hide a meth addiction. But you totally you can hide a, any kind. Only, only for a little for while. Only for a little bit. Like only for like a half a year. I think she went real downhill real fast. Yeah. And I was taking so many credits in school. I couldn't notice anything you were suffering from your own addiction yeah i was doing 21 credits at 20 <laughs> years old and working two jobs and i was like oh, oh i don't care what's happening as long as i can get all the knowledge as fast as i possibly can yeah and then go to missoula uh-huh were you were you already a theater person yeah since i was a, a kiddo acting yeah Okay. Like, I was going to be a Broadway star. No way. Awesome. I was. I trained as a triple threat for most of my childhood. Acting, dancing, singing? Singing, yeah. Took voice lessons, took dance classes. No shit. Did the whole thing. When did that phase out? Um, <laughs> somewhere around 22. Oh, so you have a fully formed love for musical theater inside of you. I kind of hate it. You do? Yeah, Me now. Me too. Yeah. Let's talk about why you hate it. Um, I hate it because um, it's a lie that people sell each other to feel good about life. Whoa. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah. The major chords, the simple story progression, the fact that you can solve all of your conflicts within the span of a song. It's great from a form perspective, but it's crap as far as a social message. Theater has such a platform for telling people about themselves, and we waste it and a whole bunch of money on musical theater. Do you think... Yep. But, okay. <laughs> uh, that said, don't you, do you feel like uh, there's no room for, like, uh, escapism in art? Like, you know, just to, like, shut off and f- make something, have something f- make oh, you feel yeah. good? Oh, yeah. I'm all about that. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> <laughs> we ask the hard so, question. So here's, here's the thing. So when we watch a Pixar film... Yeah. Is it all one thing or another? It's just crying. It's just fucking sad animals, <laughs> and it's just sad. Pixar films and they love they love the tears no, right at the beginning. Let's think about. Let's think about. Um, I don't know. I didn't see Coco, and I didn't see Moana. I think I think Frozen is the last thing that I saw. I didn't see Frozen. What about uh, Up? Was that a Pixar movie? It that was, was but it doesn't have singing and dancing. So can we still consider oh, it the same thing? You're talking about the singing and dancing one. Oh, what about Lion King? Can we just talk about Lion King? Yeah, let's talk okay. about fratricide. Because that's what <laughs> nice. yes. the Lion King is about. Right, right, yeah. okay. And True. let's talk about the fact that <laughs> Hamlet, Hamlet. Yes. Um, thinks that he just can't wait to be king. He sings a whole song about it, and then shit gets real. Wait, I think you're crossing. No, no the Lion, Lion King, King is Hamlet. Is Hamlet. Okay, but but his, but it's Simba, Simba in Lion King. Yeah, so Hamlet sings no songs as far as I remember. Well, does he? He does. What song does he sing? He sings a weird magical thing when he's pretending to be crazy. Oh, okay. I mean, there okay. are some weird crossovers <laughs> wow, now we that we're thinking yeah. about. It. <laughs> 
Um, I love Hamlet. I think it's one of the best plays ever written. You do? Mm-hmm. I teach it every time I can teach a class. Okay. So I'm, by association, you love The Lion King. And you love fat? fat <laughs> it's the fat, same thing. Fat, so I, I, don't love <laughs> the li- I don't love The Lion King because I think it suffers from a lot of 90s yes. propaganda. Yeah. That we're all... Equ- we're all equal now. We can do cultural appropriation in a big way. Oh, oh yeah. Man, there's just so no, many because, pitfalls. Well, because of Live Aid. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st Fuck. century. <laughs> because of Live Aid, we saved the Africans, thus Lion King. Because Africans <laughs> in great I shape. think you're totally right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We sang We Are the World. We get to make the Lion King now. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was, we effectively bought the rights and to remaking Africa. It. Now there's a new Lion King. Yeah. Yeah. The supposed Did you know that? I, yes. Yeah. Is there singing in the new one? I don't I, I, I think I, so. I have not found out yet. I will. You will. Do you I like will. the song? Do you ever like So I'll say Not this. because I want to, but because I, I have you, to. Yeah, it's part of your lifestyle. I yeah. <laughs> I hate I hate musicals also. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think I'm not saying I disagree with what you're saying about mm-hmm. musicals. I just yeah. haven't thought about it like that. Um, I think you're right. Although I also love reality television, so garbage TV. I have a feeling you might. Well, if there, <laughs> okay, so so I think that if we're thinking about musicals as having to serve a certain purpose, which uh-huh. is to educate and inspire and shape our culture, yes. because they have a lot of power to do that. Yeah, they are kind fa- of the most. They power are in the failing in that mission, but for pure entertainment, you can't get better than that. So, do you feel like maybe part of the issue? you have is that given the huge corporate machine that is musical theater it's i mean it's got to be the most uh it's got to generate the most revenue of any theater yeah around right oh yeah totally um given that the platform they have they're sort of wasting i think so i think they can do better yeah and they don't because they're lazy and they have been eating their own pudding for too long I yeah. like that eating their own pudding. I find them just fucking annoying. And when people <clears throat> so happy, we talk about Bridget on this so podcast a lot. Happy. And I love Bridget. Bridget yeah. is. I a, also love Bridget. You love Bridget also. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of. We Bridget. had dinner the other night, and she revealed to me that she listens to like musical theater CDs. She sure there are does. a bunch of theater people who I know and love who do that, and it's I mind-boggling. don't understand it. It was my childhood, though. Those are songs that are made to be seen, not heard. As far as oh, like, how else are you going to learn them, though? <laughs> neither. <laughs> they, are, they are not meant to be seen, heard, listened to. They're not meant to be done. They're rough. That said, have you heard of this one called Hamilton? Have <laughs> <laughs> you heard of Hamilton? I have. Have you heard of hip-hop music? Do you I, feel like Hamilton is the crash of musical theater? Remember the movie Crash? Everybody saw Crash, and then it was like, I get, I get racism now, I man. I didn't see Crash. Yeah, oh. It's so bad. You're, it's okay that you didn't see it's it. Such a For a while, movie. I had a DVD of it that I don't know how I got. <laughs> oh, really? I feel like that entitles me to say that I've seen Crash, but no. Because someone's like, I've please fucking it. take this away I've from me. I've only seen it around my house. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what? Kate Morris doesn't know about racism. Here you go. Here you go, Kate. Here's this. <laughs> Here you go, you flatheader. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Coming from Open the up your eyes. I probably don't know about racism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm probably very Brutal. not clued in <laughs> um okay so you came to montana started mm-hmm. studying theater yeah and when did you write your first play oh it was probably before that well <clears throat> sorry i started writing films actually at 20 20 mm-hmm. because i wanted to write and direct films because i wanted to like i don't know be a film auteur yeah mm-hmm. and then i was like oh 
I can do this so much easier with less budget if I just make it on a stage. And that was really the the DIY potential. Yeah. And I got tired of seeing stories that had women who were wasted. And that's like most of the theatrical canon, um, mainstream theatrical canon, was like a bunch of wasted women. The side characters. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. They're props in many respects. Yeah. And you went to graduate school for playwriting? No. No, you didn't. I went to graduate I'm school. Sure you did. No, I didn't. <laughs> I love that. Didn't this you? Is, this is the crazy didn't thing. You? I went to grad. I tried to go to graduate school for for playwriting, and I didn't make it into the Ivy Leagues that I applied for. And so I went to graduate school for devised theater and theater making without a script because I was terrified that I wouldn't have a job in theater. And so I learned how to make a different kind of theater. And then I went to an art school for writing, where I did playwriting, but also every other type of writing. Okay, and that was, where was that? That was in Chicago. In Chicago. Weren't, mm-hmm. weren't you in Cleveland also? I I went to a conference in Cleveland oh. for a little bit. <laughs> okay, I'm clearly confused. <laughs> I brought a play to good. Cleveland. Okay, you brought a play to Cleveland. Yes, for um, a conference. So you want to, so you're, you, you're looking, so but you, but you have settled on playwriting, is that... More or less play producing? Kind of. Or is that a wide pigeonhole you like that? Well, I mean, I like to make stuff for theater. Yeah. Whether or not it's a play that I write ahead of time or it's like a weird like collaboration that then is a play yeah. without me having to write it or like write parts of it. I don't know. It's like a mishy mashy yeah. deal. That I like that best of all, but there is something that the page can do that has its own sort of expectations and it does weird things to the brain in the way that live performance does not do. And I like working in that medium too. That's the thing. I'm super curious in what it would be like to write a play because with story, Mm -hmm. whether it's nonfiction or fiction or whatever, uh, you, you imagine the story. I mean, it's in your head, Mm -hmm. right? And then you're right by writing it. You're just realizing it. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways. And you can come pretty close with time and patience to what was in your head. And those two things can get pretty close to aligning. And, mm-hmm. and inevitably, I think your expectation changes a little bit as you realize, oh, I'm not as good at this as I thought. And maybe this isn't going to work. But with plays, it's like you do that. And then you have to give it to all these other people who, I mean... I imagine you have to make all kinds of compromises along the way. This person is not going to be able to do this ultimately. Or, you know, I was just such Uh a dynamic art form. What is that experience? Is it frustrating? Is it exciting? It's great because you have to get over yourself pretty early. Yeah, like right away. Yeah, like before you even give the play to other people. While you were writing, you have to write it in such a specific way where it could be done in so many other ways that you just distill your language into what you're really getting at that way no matter the interpretation you'll get to the next point that you want to get to narratively yeah so the crafting of it happens uh, over and over and over again before you even show it to anybody else so that i'm really lucky in the plays that i've had produced like i don't know in the last 10 years they happen exactly as i see them really yeah that's great they, they take the script almost creepy. and they make it happen. And I'm like, this is exactly what I was thinking. And is that, are you, when you are the playwright, do you, I know that there's usually 
a, a writer and a director. Uh-huh. Are you usually the director also? Mm-mm. I prefer to have someone else's input give nuance to it. Awesome. Yeah, because the, I, I have blind spots, and I'm hoping the more people who come together to work on it, the more fleshed and realized it can be. But somehow they get they come to the same conclusion that I came to during the writing of it, yeah. that this is how this story gets told, and we all go forward together. That's really cool. Do you think you're really lucky, or do you think there's some part of your process that's making that happen? And you can you can turn your own horn I think bit. it's a bit of both, but I think I'm actually really good at what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, because I've been doing it since I was nine. I love, I well, and I think that, but it, what I'm hearing, and I know fucking nothing about this, uh, <laughs> is also, it was cool to hear you say that the, the, you know, the community, the team effort is what makes it happen. Yeah. I know a lot of writers. I don't know many playwrights, but in my brain, playwrights, <laughs> it was, it was cool to hear you say that because I imagine there are lots of playwrights who are like, well, this is. This is my story, and this is how it's told. <laughs> there are some. Although I must be wrong, because, I mean, how you would ever succeed? I mean, Well, so things many... are changing. Yeah. Well, how so? It used to be, well, when it was in certain theater cultures where it's really ego-driven, and there's a lot of people who are used to having power and privilege yeah. um, making theater happen, like, it can be an ego battle between a playwright and a director. And usually... I'm going to just say this. Usually they're both white men. Yeah. And they come to a kind of, you know, gentleman's agreement. I feel like there's another context to that phrase, but for for this, that's just going to be a gentleman's <laughs> agreement. <laughs> um, over who gets what kind of say when. Like, the playwright would say, well, you can't change any of my lines. And then the director's like, well, ha-ha, sir. I'm going to then make them do this thing. And then you come to a really great artistic product because of a schism between two major egos and the actors are kind of like caught in between oh, and they fuck. just make it happen. It can happen like that. Or everybody comes along in somebody's vision. It's usually the director's vision. And then the writer is like, okay, I've pared this down to the bare necessities and we'll see how it goes. Um, these days, because I'm like way into collaboration... I like to muddy that water okay. and, and invite gray area. So then the final product becomes something that's a little bit more shared. Um, and I'm just very specific about the language that I use. But if I see something not working, if I'm invited into the process and I see it not working, I'm going to go with what feels more natural to a performer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, are there people that you work with regularly or that you prefer to work with given how, when it comes to the production process? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, so it's tricky because in Missoula, there are some really great theater artists, and I would work with them any day of the week. Like, Kendra Potter is amazing, and she did such a great job with In the Snow. If I could work with Jeremy Scher and Jeff Medley and Selena Shetlane every day of my life, I would oh. <laughs> in a heartbeat. Yeah, <laughs> But I had some great people in Chicago who would be awesome people to work with all the time like olivia lily has a great theater in chicago and she does amazing work like this and i'm always looking for new people rebecca schaefer does some crazy wackadoo stuff and i could give her like three ideas and she would take them in like nine directions awesome but you want to know who you're working with first 
trusting the product. So I like to do a little bit of research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you are in Chicago, which I, I know, I, I think has a, a sort of one of the theater scenes in the country, right? It does. What was it? I mean, first of all, what was that energy like? I mean, starting out in Big Fork, falling in love with theater, <laughs> ending up in Chicago. I mean, was it was it great? Was it overwhelming? It was kind of weird that I went there and theater was not a major part of what I was doing. Not you like, were not doing a lot of theater. Not the kind of theater that Chicago is known for. Not like the Steppenwolf like type of stuff. Because I came there through avant-garde writing and theater making okay. and performance art. And so when I was there, I did a lot of performance art. I did a lot of avant-garde theater in smaller spaces. And the energy was just as present. Yeah. And it was more international. And it was less boring to me. Yeah. The craft happened through... It was less a work of craft the way that I see a lot of Steppenwolf plays are really of a high quality but you can trace its lineage back to other theatrical traditions. The stuff that I was working on and seeing done in Chicago was a lot more like, oh, I've never seen this before, but it's still effective. This is really cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And, and what is the, and now you're in Missoula, back in Missoula. I am. I mean, what is, what is, <laughs> what's the, what's the state of the theater scene in Missoula? I think there's a giant gaping hole in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, Hopefully in the next five to ten years, somebody will fill it or it will be filled in a, in a better capacity. I'm really excited about Michael Legg being the new Montana Repertory Theater like artistic director. What's his deal? He comes from Actress Theater of Louisville. Um, he knows new plays. He's into new stories. And he wants to make theater like relevant. And I also think that Montana culture needs to catch up to live performance. Yeah. I think it's pretty much still in the 20th, 20th century. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what are the venues for for theater? I mean, for, you know, more avant-garde performance art theater. There's not much, Whatever right? you can make. Yeah. Whatever you can make and have happen. Um, I mean, money is always the prohibitive factor. If I had a tidy sum then I would produce a new play every year at least. Um, And I'm hopefully going to be working toward that if I stay in Montana for like the next 10 years. Um, But yeah, we, we have a problem with rehashing musical theater because it makes everybody feel good and it'll bring people in because they recognize it. And then new plays... Well, Mason does incredible work. I forgot to name him in my collaborators, but yeah, no. I would love to work with Mason whenever whenever he can. Um, you hear that? You hear that, Mason? Yeah, Mason. Between the, between the Lines <laughs> has done some incredible stuff for, for Missoula Theater lately, but yeah. I th- wait, think wait, wait, it's whoa, an infrastructure whoa, whoa, whoa. thing. What are you talking about? So there's an independent theater company named Between the Lines Theater, okay. run by Mason Wagner, okay. and he's chosen new plays, and he started doing this when I left, um, and they're the company, the, the company that produced my play last spring. Awesome. Which was called? In the Snow. Which I did not see, but I did see Jeff Medley. We were playing at the Union Club, I think. <laughs> and Jeff Medley <laughs> tore into the Union Club mm-hmm. dressed like a wolf or yeah, he ghost was, yeah. or something. He's the Nightmare Wolf. Yeah. Stolen part wolf, part ghost. He did You're not, really good about He did not take his costume method, off. Serious <laughs> method actor. 
He's a serious method actor. It was, it was so hard for him. He had to spend so much time preparing to look like that, and then it was hard for him to get the powder off of him. Oh, just so, go home and get in the shower. Yeah, he would have had to do that. And But, you know, how do you have a life? How do you? How does he have a life? Like, how do you have a life if you if you always have to just go home and shower as soon as you're done doing a very demanding play? Oh, he seems to be making it work. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think, why he was spooky to everybody. He was he totally spooky. Yeah, he was really supposed scary. Supposed to be really scary. Yeah. He was yeah. living it. <laughs> um, I'm glad you're here. So, a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that we're done with that, I'm just joking. A million years ago, so I used to, when I first got Barley the dog, I kept a journal because uh, I've told this story too many times. That he, uh, when Australian shepherds, they're very, they seem very intelligent, mm -hmm. and when you look at them, you think they're saying something, like or trying, or they're frustrated that they can't talk to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I would write a journal every time an interaction or something would happen, and he would behave. However, I would write down a sentence that I thought he said. And uh, we ran into you and we ran into two other playwrights while walking around downtown. This is like, let's say, 12 years ago. Uh -huh. What a Missoula day. <laughs> walking my dog, running <laughs> into playwrights. <laughs> we live in the best place on earth. Walking my talking Australian shepherd. <laughs> oh, oh. We're going to, we have to start writing this now. Um, <laughs> And uh, we ran into other two playwrights, and then we ran into you. And Barley, he's very, he loves people, he interacts with people, but he'll, he'll hide behind my legs if it's somebody that he, does, like, that he doesn't want to talk to. <laughs> or, mm -hmm. or that he, he'll get distracted easily. But when we ran into you, he sat down and just stared at your face for the duration. And, uh, and I wrote down in the journal, A Sober and Present Playwright. Uh, which ended up going into a song later. Wow. And, uh, and uh, that was, I know. Uh, I'm, I, I'm very flattered. I'm, I'm trying to divulge everyone, every line in that song <laughs> has a specific meaning, which makes that song terrible in a lot of ways. Nobody, when people hear that song, they think, oh, it's like, it's, it is a non sequitur every sentence. It's, yeah. it's, it means nothing, except for each one means something. But you're is that the, the song about Barley? Yeah. You're the sober and present playwright. Oh. That's so nice, Kate. What do you think of that? I feel really great about that. <laughs> it was great because for me, because obviously me, me writing this journal for Barley is what I was like. Uh, instantly, those other two people were just total dicks to me. <laughs> they were like, they weren't in, who's this guy, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it was almost as if you crossed the street to talk to me. So we were... Uh, wow. But... It was seconds long. Yeah, I... I but you've been... You've, I feel weird that I don't remember that interaction. I barely remember it as, as it is. But I try to remember good things that happened to yeah. me, and I have a decent memory because I don't drink heavily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sober part. Yes. It's good and start. I try to be well, really present with people when they are present yes. with me. And you were the only sober one yeah. we ran into that day. Oh, <laughs> this was like, and this is probably one o'clock in the afternoon. Type yeah, of that makes perfect yes, sense. Yes. I went to the old post, if that gives that away. Oh yeah, no. So I then uh, uh, <laughs> the other one was, uh, I was talking to some other songwriters and musicians the other night, and uh, the... Uh, the idea that every gig could be my last gig. Oh, damn. Like, well, and, and like, just, I don't know what's going to happen, but something might happen to where I just go home and set it all on fire. 
And uh, oh, not because like you might get in a car accident because you might like not want to do this ever again. I don't want to do this ever again. But uh, uh, a long time ago, I've always been in bands. Never been the band has never been mine. But Mm -hmm. you saw my first band that was kind of mine, and you were part of like three people watching the Fidgets. Remember the name of it. And uh, you were one of like three people at the, is it the Badlander? Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. Badlander. That, and of those three people, only you came and talked to us. So you, oh, and the, the idea of every gig could be my last gig unless something good happens. <laughs> so yeah. you, you're responsible for Close But No Seeker. That's you where it came from. <laughs> you're, you're part of this arc that says, I can still do this. Okay, thank God I can still do this. That is true, Kate. You are a great supporter of local art. I talk a big game about You're how in. important that is and basically do none of it. <laughs> Ditto. Uh, You're also running a farm. But You're you, also running five but bands. But you are sure always uh, at music and shit and supporting local artists, and it's so great. You're out and about. Um, okay, enough of that. Uh <laughs> I'm just glad you're here so I can tell you. Thank you. You're I'm okay. really glad to be here. I This last year has been really difficult. I've felt like barely an artist. You have felt like that's barely. a weird yeah, feeling. Yeah, because working for a nonprofit organization takes everything that you have out of you. Hmm. And I knew this when I went back into nonprofit. Yeah. But I thought that I had developed a good enough art practice that I could keep it. But no. Yeah. <laughs> I have to start a year later, I have to start over again like recently have had to start over completely again doing anything creative in my spare time. And writing especially, well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Writing is just my conduit into this conversation. But writing, when you are in the groove and you do it every day or Uh you have some routine and then you stop, starting again is almost impossible. Yeah, it's really hard to do. It is so fucking scary. It takes a long time. And you do get worse. You like do. You like, atrophy. Yeah. I mean, I there's a stupid, stupid microplay on Facebook that I wrote last night where I'm just like, <laughs> this is hilarious. And I read it, you know, I'll read it again this afternoon and I'll be like, oh, God. It's a good thing that this is couched heavily in joke because nobody can take me seriously. <laughs> oh, that's hard. <laughs> um, okay. So theater, I, I went through a phase when I was living back in New York mm-hmm. where I really wanted to like theater i really tried hard because i love shakespeare in high school i did like that Mm -hmm. and uh but it was not at all uh the performance of shakespeare you know it was like the total english major analysis of shakespeare which when you take out of the classroom setting uh is like what do i got here not much um (laughs) uh what would you say to people? But so, so I really wanted to get into Shakespeare, and I forget like Arcadia was playing in mm, New York, and mm-hmm. I went to that, and like I don't even know. I have this terrible habit of leaving early. Oh God! Yeah, because oh. I like I lose it. I lose it. I mean, yeah, it's better that you leave yeah. than stay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, musicals <laughs> I will leave during the performance. Good. Um, but plays, okay, but in straight place you just leave that intermit- at like, intermission. If there's an intermission and I'm like, oh fuck, it's halfway. Uh, I will I will bail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize that I'm just like there's I'm having a hard time following. I'm having a hard time connecting. Um, and I think that theater for a lot of people feels like this inaccessible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what would you say to people who would say, oh, I just, I just don't get it, you know? Uh, what would be a good way to, to get into it? Because I do believe that, that I don't think that it is that it's inaccessible. I think that anybody can enjoy theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that, I don't know, you need like the right... You need a bachelor's degree? You need a PhD no, to enjoy theater? No, you just need to like have the right introduction, I think, or the right yeah. mindset, or, or everybody yeah, just maybe. Need, maybe needs a little help or something. What, I don't know. What do you think? I think that theater doesn't have to be for everybody. Yeah. I think if... That's yeah. it. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Like, Good call. Let's, let's get down to it. We have issues in our society with um, being present and intimate. Totally. And being still and... Um, all theater requires most of those things. So if you are, if you do not know how to behave in those situations, you should not be asked to be that uncomfortable right out, out the gate. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to be receptive to any story being told. So then though, how you would get into them would be through baby steps or like most of the time, those people are not the people who come to theater Thank God there's like TV and podcasts and movies and, mm-hmm. all, and all sorts of other live performance things that they could see where they would be still be comfortable and receptive to the lyrics in a song. Mm-hmm. Like when you go live performance, I, I think live performance is special and I think everybody should have access to it. Whether or not that's seeing like a contemporary bard like Travis. Um, oh my God. Yeah, uh, stop it. Be, I'll laugh. be in a brewery. I'll laugh that off, but again, now I get I, to continue. I think that there's like <laughs> efficacy in yeah. that kind of, of approach to yeah. live performance. But I also think that you offer people the chance to completely check out and lose something in the dark watching something in front of them on yeah. stage. How you get them into it is a tricky situation. Like, um, for the new plays that I write, I kind of start out from a distance and then I do a zoom, um, like a film, only through a character's um, approach into the film. So the audience can sit in the dark, get used to it, watch something from a distance, and then slowly but surely it starts to envelop them. And then that gives them a like a chance to get used to it yeah to get into it and it has to appeal to them like my last play was about social workers because we have so many people in our society providing this kind of service for our society and nobody tells their stories i find a lot of theater inaccessible because it's about rich people in new york and i don't care about them yeah I think they're kind of the worst people in the world um, <laughs> because they yeah. because they are not doing they don't do something for the rest of us and their stories you have to really like extend your empathy but if you work all the time you don't have a lot of empathy to extend so how do you bring a play to its audience's empathy and I'm writing plays in Montana in order to do that, in order to, like, tell Montana stories to Montana empathy. Yeah. And I don't, I'm still figuring out how to do that. I don't know. Is that, in, is that a motivating idea, though, to you? Yeah. I, I would like this state and the people who live in it to 
generally grow more empathetic toward each other. I think we need it in order to like save our wild lands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think theater as a social practice actually can engender empathy through storytelling and live performance and being every like sitting everybody together in the dark. And if we do these traditions in a way where people get something out of it, they'll do more of it and then they'll be more receptive to other people's stories. Yeah. Which means we don't have like this clear line drawn in the sand over, oh, you voted for this person, therefore you must hate like logging or right. whatever. And you, yeah, you have to have all this whole set of ideals yeah. because you did right. this. Um, oh my God, what you just totally I lost my trans on. I, yeah, I know. I lost my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens. What is the, uh, what is the, uh, uh, when, I think of movies and plays, uh, storytelling, where it's that point where you, what you said about having to relax into it, having mm-hmm. to get into it. Because if I, I'll, I will, I will turn off something if I'm not grabbed in yeah, the first minute. But that's the theater thing of like you're there, and how long is there? Is there some sort of this is like me? I would I would assume there's some sort of science of like how long do you have? in the first act to grab people and get them in. I mean, other than the first line, I mean, that would be, that would be the goal, right? To say the first line of the play, they're in. Uh Well, that brings up an interesting question. Like, do are you writing a play for the audience? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you are thinking about, Oh, every step of the way grabbing. Yep. I think about the audience every time because I know what I want to, I know the story I want to tell, but I don't, do it for me i do it for the people who would be watching it yeah and i want them to i want them to come in um because i i want them to feel a certain set of emotions and think about certain things and i don't want them to come up come to any sort of conclusion i just want to give them an experience and then they get to decide what they think about it and how they feel about it um five pages is a good indication now it used to be 10. Oh, yeah. So the patience level but has Yeah, shrunk. people shrunk. will turn up, turn off real fast. Um, if you can do it in the first two pages, depending on how long those pages take, because it used to be that pages could equal a certain amount of time, but now that's not true. You can play with time on a page in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And performance time can take, I don't know, it's a lovely fluid um, medium to play with. Do you wow. think so you have you have ten minutes? You have ten minutes to grab them. I would say less. 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 I I minutes. think you have between two and five. Oh Jesus, that's the pressure. That's the nightmare that I'm looking at right now. Of like, that's what you have to like hearing about playwriting to me because it takes mm-hmm. a lot for me to mm-hmm. sit for that long. But I want to. I mm-hmm. want to sit and watch it. I want to be in that. That wanting mm-hmm. is something I have to rely on mm-hmm. to get me there. Yeah. Knowing that that wanting is there, then I just feed it. And I feed it in tiny bits. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I have to intellectually grab my audience within the first two to five minutes. I have to viscerally grab them mm-hmm. with some sort of base emotional need that they need to have fulfilled. And once I do that, then I can engage the intellect later on oh, 
so much pressure. I mean, there is a lot of. That's exactly what I was just thinking yeah. because it, because <laughs> so unlike. Much and this is, I, I, I'm like already feeling like I felt when I was younger in New York wanting to like theater so uh -huh. badly because, first of all, there's something, you know, it's like the Greek catharsis. Watching something with a group of people is an incredible thing. And it's something that I think most people of a certain age are doing less than they ever have before, mm -hmm. right? With all the media we have access to in our living room now. Uh, it's just it's it's a harder sell to to go out and well why not use that as a as a weapon or a tool I mean if we want to think about it confrontationally so here I I think it's weird that you two think this is a pressure situation because you're musicians and you just do this anyway oh no we've turned it off I don't care what people think I don't want to grab them anymore <laughs> but you do grab them you know what chords will grab them sure. right out the out the gate because Bob Seger is all about emotionally stirring oh, music. Now we're talking. About? Oh my Jesus God, this is the greatest Christ. thing. But this no. is the greatest day of my life. But okay, this is why you've chosen Bob Seger because you know that he will get to the heart of like people. Yeah, well, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I mean, it is just like he, while he was writing those songs, for me, we're relying on the past memory. Exactly. Like, we're relying on the fact that somebody heard this song while they were in the back of the Camaro uh, looking at city lights and shit. Uh, like, that's yeah. the only... That's <laughs> but I do the same thing when yeah. I write new plays. Yeah, it's, it, feels like a, it feels like a gimmick in a way, but it's, a, but it's more of a tool. Yeah. Of, here's, hey, you know this song. Uh -huh. Remember? Remember? Uh -huh. Go back to when you were 16. Like that's that's a that's a when, and I don't write those songs. I might it's it, I'm more esoteric and have to explain what a song means before I even play it. But which is often Travis saying this song's about fucking. <laughs> hey, I didn't write night moves, and that's what night moves is about. <laughs> but so you do this, so you get emotional. You don't even have to think about lyrics. Let's not think about words and lyrics. Mm -hmm. You grab an audience emotionally and viscerally through the the chords and the notes that you play, the way that you play them, and the tempo. Sure. So that is an emotional vocabulary that we all have, mm -hmm. and that you know how to use right away to grab people. And I use tropes um, that we get in pop culture and through other media to grab my audience in a live theater setting right away. Like, my last play was a police procedural drama. Awesome. For a reason. Because everybody loves that shit. With yeah. a ghost nightmare wolf? Yeah. Well, fuck, I shouldn't have missed that Missed out. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> because then, so the nightmare wolf is not on the stage at the first. At first, you're like, oh, this is a cop. Yeah. I understand what cops do. Yeah. They're going to solve a mystery. <laughs> oh, somebody died. There's somebody covered in blood, and she's been beaten up. I wonder what happened to her. This is a thing. Yeah. I hope David Caruso comes out here with his fucking glasses. <laughs> wow! Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to get fucking weird, yeah. because people are already comfortable, and they're like, what? I'm not comfortable with this Nightmare Wolf guy, but I'm here already watching this cop show. I'm, I'm better just stay put and figure it out. Yeah. I think a lot about Star Wars. In that, oh, you do. Thank I you. Do. Good. Oh, thank love, God we're about I to talk about this. Love Star Wars. Yes, you do. Fucking love Star Wars. I'm a huge nerd. 
I I read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, and I love sci-fi and fantasy yeah. movies. Let me just, I know. Let me I just, just drink don't think out Star of, Wars is that good. Let me drink out of my well, Empire. Sci-fi. Let's let me, think about it. <laughs> hold on while I drink out of my Empire Strikes Back mug. I noticed that mug, and I loved it. <laughs> so, but we know what we're in for. You can love or hate Star Wars, but for the moment you sit down and you hear that, like, musical tag, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what you're in for, and you have, like, a sense memory yeah. From when you were a kid, and it inspires a lot of excitement in totally. you. That's the first moment of a play for your audience members. When when they sit down and the lights go out, you want to get them with something that has that sense, mm-hmm. that Star Wars sense. How many times have you wanted to use a crawl at the beginning of your play? I mean... A Star Wars crawl. A Star Wars crawl is the same as Shakespeare's, like... Yes. Um, Prologue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, from use a fire <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> this is you, the best thing ever. You are really you are doing a service right now. <laughs> you really are. Because I mean I'm building I, Travis up and reinforcing I'm so excited. No, to go I see mean, theater. well yes, you're doing that service. <laughs> no, is that service? But you're no. also doing a service. I mean <laughs> I do I do think I do think that a lot of people, myself included, sometimes feel self conscious with the prospect of enjoying theater mm-hmm. because let's face it. It's just like you said, it's, we, it we're rarely do we have to sit down and, and listen now. Mm-hmm. And I totally hear what you're saying about like Travis's music and everything. But at the end of the day, uh, a bar full of people drinking alcohol is a way easier environment or sometimes harder. But at the end of the day, it's just, there's not as much pressure to quiet room, Mm-hmm. With people who have dinner reservations in it, you know what I mean. Like it's, yeah. it's just a different, it's a different vibe. Um, but I hear what you're saying in the way they're similar. Uh, but I love y- your idea that that you know, at the end of the day, there's emotional vocabulary, and you know, don't worry about getting it or not getting it. I mean, that was my thing. I remember going to see that Tom Stoppard play in mm-hmm. the city, and like people would erupt in laughter, and I'd be like, what? What was the? There was a joke. <laughs> the fuck is everyone laughing? They were about? part of a context that you were not a part. You of. know, and that takes yeah. you. That just takes you out of the moment um, yeah. completely. And then you're thinking about not getting it, and thinking about fuck, I wasted forty five dollars. You know, uh, it, so I, I don't know. I really appreciate what you're saying about mm-hmm. this because it makes perfect sense. Um, and of course, I mean that's how it's been always. I mean, plays back in the day were for people who couldn't read or write, right? Yeah. I mean, so. It has to hit on some... And there has to be levels. The The reason why I think we still study Shakespeare is, well, there are so many fucking reasons, but the, one that, <laughs> the only one I feel like talking about right now is the fact that he, he built his plays to hit specific strata, social strata. Yeah. There is a joke in here for these people, and there's a reference in here for these people, and there's a joke in here for these people that these people are not going to get. And he just composed his writing to hit those spots. And I feel like a lot of theater professionals take it for granted. Just like a bunch of musical theater kids listen to the scores to music to musicals all day long and they know it and they mm-hmm. get these references, I feel like there is a weird sort of like I don't know, like it's almost it's almost incestuous in how People keep making references for their own in crowd. Mm-hmm. And Arcadia I love because I really love 
how he talks about math. Mm-hmm. And I love how birds. He talks, I love how he talks about time because I am a nerd when it comes to time and quantum physics. And so I'm all about that play yeah. for that reason. But I know because I'm also part of the playwriting in community, I know the references that he's making and he's writing for only a certain type of person yeah. because he's allowed to. Yes. In Montana, when you're making theater in Montana and for rural spaces, which is what I want to do, you can't be writing for the people who, who are typically going to be your theater audience yeah. in other in other parts of the of the country and this could be why i don't have a very good production record outside of rural spaces like um a tiny theater in new orleans wanted to do my play and because i never send it out other people don't see it but <laughs> i don't know we'll see i mean audience that sounds Montana cool wait how does that work okay. what do you like yeah how do how do how do other theaters find your you, as a writer, you if you don't have representation, you send your plays to every theater who you think might be oh, interested damn. and wait wow. for them to not call you back. Yeah, it's Ooh. hard. Yeah, that is terrible. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of great rejection in oh. playwriting and in poetry. <laughs> so, Kate, I did not think we would have this conversation, and I would leave thinking Kate is kind of like the Bob Seger of Montana playwrights. <laughs> <laughs> But it's kind of how yeah. I feel now. Yeah. I can't wait for the first Cowboys and Indians play. <laughs> that will never happen, Travis. Um, okay, no. I know I know that you have been working at a nonprofit that is a very mm-hmm. busy nonprofit, so you haven't had a ton of time. But are yeah. you working on anything now, and can it, people maybe see your stuff in the next year or so? Yeah. Tell us about that, if you can. Well, in the snow that happened last spring that I wrote, I think, a couple years ago, is the first of four plays in a four-play cycle called Western Animus. And it follows the (coughs) same set of characters. Well, two characters recur in each of these four plays. Each play is set in a different season. In the Snow was a winter play. And Cora, the main character, one of the main characters of In the Snow, and her nightmare wolf are in each of these plays. Awesome. So I'm writing the summer one right now, and it's a family drama about death and queerness in Montana. And I'm about 25 pages in, so we could get a first draft ready to be heard by people in a couple months, probably. So maybe this time next year? Is that... Crazy? Well, so I I can't make any promises about being about producing because I want oh, right. other people to right. want to produce it. I feel like if you self-produce, you're pushing yourself toward a product before maybe the play has had enough time in development. Yeah. So, so no promises, but so there's no something promises. people should keep their eyes peeled. Yeah, and if people are interested in putting forward these kinds of plays, they can come and talk to me and I would I would actually really like to develop a community of people who are interested in this type of theater and foster other plays or other lives like theater events around this kind of idea that we are making this happen in Montana for Montanans and for like Western rural audiences. Um, It doesn't have to be my work. 
it could be anybody's work, but I would want to help make it happen. And through that, like desire, my plays will then happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, where? Wait, no, wait, wait! Don't do that yet. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> hey, don't give away the magic. We, we have a new system. <laughs> I'm just we, getting ready. We have a new system it's, now. It's All I did was get ready. Turn, just, but wait. I mean, I, I have lots yeah, of things no. I need to say. And some, no. No, I know. I'm just ready. Okay. It's just. <laughs> okay. If people do want to get a hold of you about that stuff, uh, about theater stuff, mm-hmm. were you serious about that? I am. I'm totally what, what totally platform serious. would you like that? Oh, they can just message stop by me on the Facebook. They should okay. never come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> they should never come to my house or call me on the phone. Okay. Um, Facebook, that works. They should message me on Facebook Perfect. or they should email me at morriskaterebecca at gmail.com. Okay. And if you want to donate to the Zach, newzach, Z-A-C-C dot org. Dot org. Uh, please donate before the end of this year and help those guys put together. And there will be a performance space at the News Act. There will be. It's going to be an incredible opportunity for all sorts of live performances. So awesome. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Kate, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for everything you do. And uh, this has been Jamie. And Travis. Present. Present.